Hello, hello, and welcome to Pride Month at Art Pop Talk. I'm Bianca. And I'm Gianna. So Gianna, we've talked a lot about Pride allyship for brand names, but wowie, are they back and in full swing this Pride season. Tis, indeed. Oh boy, (laughs) they are. Um, In today's Art Pop Talk, we are kind of looking at some of those things, but the museum version. So we're talking about the role museums play during Pride Month and that play on allyship that takes place in artistic spaces. Are we ready to make museums gay again? Uh, Of course. Well, hello, sister. We're recording. Hello. We're attempting to record a uh, a video for you guys for the full episode because we were just going to record for a little game we'll be playing later. But Gianna was like, "Hey, you know what? Let's just record the whole thing." And then I got scared, and here we are. It's gonna be great. I know. I'm <laughs> I'm camera shy, but you know you have to get used to it. No, you look it's so our cross glam. To bear. <laughs> mm. Now everyone can see your cute new haircut that I was talking about last week. Oh. Yeah, well, you know, after a long day's work, this is this is the best we can a do. A long day's but. work? You look hot. You look good. Look at that oh, cherry red okay. lip. Mm. You know, it it's matches like your like auburn hair. My, <laughs> I was telling Bianca earlier, I feel like I am reliving my JoJo aesthetic days, like aquamarine kind of time <laughs> where JoJo had auburn red stripes in her hair and i just desperately wanted to be jojo what does the mean girl say in aquamarine she calls them oh the grandma brigade with the blue blue put on a dry shirt (laughs) i've got some advice for you (laughs) um you know speaking of pride maybe some rainbow highlights in my hair you know that yeah because (laughs) as we're about to get into it's not like People aren't being excessive enough with the whole rainbow <laughs> shtick. The shtick. It's just like, we get it. So I'm really excited that it's Pride Month. This episode is coming out on June 1st, which is very exciting. Um, but before we get into it, I feel as though we should maybe say hello to some new listeners and kind of tell them what APT is all about. Oh, of course. Yes. Um, our... TikTok fam has slowly <laughs> started to get into the podcasting fam at a fam of it all. So that's really exciting. Hi guys, how you doing? I know we got I mean right now we we got like a thousand followers on TikTok in one day, which is really cool. And I hope that some of those people that I was talking to on TikTok, I hope that uh, you're listening to this episode and joining us over here at APT. We are about all things museum, art, and pop culture. There's no shame at APT. We're interested in everything. And it's okay if you are undecided about art things, because so are we. And that's what we want to talk to you guys about. So welcome. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We have a Facebook group. So if you want to talk with us a little bit more, a little bit more privately, or share some thoughts, uh, you can definitely join that Facebook group. We have an email. You can always email us at artpoptalk at gmail.com if you have any questions, if you want to know more, if you have suggestions, if you want us to talk about something. There were a lot of cool people in the comments on that TikTok. There was like the Britney Spears and Theodora project 
that someone did for a symposium, which was really cool. So yeah, it was a really exciting thing to see. And also speaking of being kind of undecided, I feel like I myself am a little bit undecided about TikTok. So you'll notice that you don't see my face quite as much as you might see Bianca's face. But <laughs> I I might try in the future. I might, I might try harder. We'll see. Yeah, just so you know, it's not just me running APT, but I am just on TikTok all the time to uh, pass the day, you know, pass the time while Gianna's hard at work. <laughs> You're doing a great job. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, anything else to add before we get into some art news? Mm, you know... I don't think so. I think it's time. Okay, Gianna, are we ready for some art news? All right. So we are recording this the Friday before Memorial Day weekend. But if you are listening to this on June 1st, when the episode comes out, we are, as I said, very excited to welcome in Pride Month. But today also marks the centennial of the Tulsa Race Massacre. So if you don't know, Gianna and I are from Oklahoma, and being from Oklahoma, Gianna and I have talked about how growing up this horrific event should have been taught to us in schools. However, for us and for many people around the country, the single worst incident of racial violence in this country was not part of our common historical knowledge. Obviously, this is not a one-and-done situation, and Gianna and I are going to keep talking about how this event is represented throughout our visual culture. However, if you are looking for a bit more on the Tulsa Race Massacre, Gianna and I have talked about this in our Black Art and Protest episode and in our Monuments episode, and we'll also link more resources for you on our resources page at artpoptalk.com. I also wanted to point out that Tatiana Fazla Day is an Oklahoma artist, or she's an artist from Oklahoma, and she also had a piece up that we'll link on our Instagram as well. But uh, if you're looking for an artist in particular, Tatiana is great. Crystal Campbell, she's great as well, and uh, we'll link those for you. Also, last summer, if you've been with APT from the beginning, Gianna and I had talked about how last year we were watching the HBO Watchmen series. Um which for many people was their first exposure to the Tulsa massacre. And while it is the centennial event, I'm I'm both like happy and sad by the power a television show had to inform people about the event. And I really do feel like since Watchmen came out, people are talking about it a little bit more it's a little bit more pronounced in public spaces maybe more so than it was before and this like absolutely needs to be taught in schools there's like no question about that but common knowledge like isn't really enough so back to the power of television that's you know there's A lot more we could get into, but the power of television, MTV has announced that last week it is collaborating with Bassett Vance Productions, which is a company run by the husband and wife duo Courtney B. Vance and Angela Bassett. The couple is working on a limited series drama that is based on the Tulsa Race Massacre. 
So it's not yet titled, but it will be written by the playwright Nathan Allen Davis, who previously tackled the Tulsa Massacre in his play The High Ground. This series will clearly depict the tragedy, but will also talk about the history of Black Wall Street, which is really important. So if you're in Tulsa or or if you are visiting Tulsa, going through Oklahoma, you can actually still go to Black Wall Street today. Black Wall Street in the Greenwood District of Tulsa was one of the most affluent African-American communities in the entire country. So if you go there today, as we've discussed, on actual Black Wall Street, there are placards along the sidewalk um, that name the businesses that were destroyed. But if you're just kind of walking or driving through or down the street, you honestly might not really know where you are. There's not a ton in the space that kind of announces itself as the site of this destruction. And Jen and I have kind of talked about that in our Monuments episode, how even um, the Franklin Reconciliation Park, it's a, it's a little bit kind of hidden. And so, you know, just, just well, be aware to, of that. To mention that the development in that Tulsa area, which has been kind of reclaimed as the Tulsa Arts District, mm-hmm. the development there is still very much happening. They're building this huge building right now. I don't know if it's like an office space or a parking lot of some sort, but I mean, there is like a baseball field right on top of where Black right. Wall Street what is. And so if, yeah, so if you see one of those plaques, it's on the sidewalk. And I mean, I had been there so many times and had even missed some of those plaques because it's just this baseball stadium is just overwhelming and is just on top of this site. Um, right. And you have to look so, down. You have the plaques mm-hmm. aren't all at, at eye level on current buildings. They're embedded within the concrete. So you yeah. have to look down. And if you're just there for, let's say, like Brady Art Walk or something like that, and there's a crowded sidewalk, it is kind of difficult to mm-hmm. stop and read and realize the historic space that you're in. Vance said in a statement, quote, Angela and I have always had a deep appreciation for history, especially when it comes to stories that are rooted in the Black community. We look forward to working on the series with MTV Entertainment Studios that will explore an important slice of American history as we look to reflect on events that changed the lives of countless Black families in Tulsa, Oklahoma 100 years ago. We are excited to work with Nathan because his vision directly aligns with the story that Angela and I want to tell. Although the series will revisit the black pain and tragedy that took place on May 31st and June 1st in 1921, it will also importantly introduce many stories to the extraordinary entrepreneurial people who built Black Wall Street and all that this community accomplished. So Gianna, my question for you is... What do we think about this? I am excited. I get, I don't know if that's the right word to see another show talking about this event. I mean, we see that with kind of countless other historical events. So I guess I don't I don't know why this one would be any different, except for the fact that this one isn't really taught as much, maybe. But for some reason, I think I'm kind of harping a little bit on the MTV affiliation and maybe for no reason, I guess. Um, But I'm wondering in the future, as we learn more about it, how accessible this will be because Watchmen was great, but it was an HBO show and that's an additional cost and who knows like how many people have HBO. So I could be wrong or, or like 
presumptuous in my line of thinking, but I I just hope that it's accessible. And I don't know like what MTV owns exactly, I guess, or where this will be put. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah uh, I think you are right in acknowledging both the co- the complicated power that comes with spreading historical knowledge through like especially like tv programs and i think especially as like tv shows have taken off so you know the development of tv is just has surpassed i think what everyone thought it was really going to be and i feel like these days i consume so much more television through shows documentaries comedy drama than maybe i do a movie especially Mm -hmm. during the pandemic so i think tv shows and entertainment is an entry point into making these kinds of conversations or this history or topic more accessible. But I would like to view it perhaps as more of a an entry point into learning about this history and and taking that upon yourself to also look into that because unfortunately a lot of public school systems are not doing that for us. So yes. there does have to be that self-empowerment in it. And so I hope that does provide that entry point. I don't know if that's what I was expecting from MTV, Mm -hmm. Uh, but MTV is a branch off of the motion picture production company, if I got that right, which also Paramount is a part of. So I'm not saying that it doesn't... And Paramount Plus just launched, and that's a whole... And that's like a whole other thing, right? you know? So I'm not saying that it doesn't matter what production company is. It, It does... If you are working on a project, especially one of this historical significance, uh, I hope that you would want to work with someone and are able to work with a production company that you like and you trust. But production companies have just been on my mind lately Mm -hmm. um, for maybe silly reasons, but I just finished reading Seth Rogen's autobiography yearbook, and there's a really interesting chapter in there about the production of the interview and how Sony essentially produced the interview, but also Sony dropped a, uh, ended up dropping its name off of the movie, like visually, Mm -hmm. um, because of the complex history that, Japan has with North Korea because Sony is a Japanese company, but they still ended up producing it also in partnership with Seth Rogen's production Mm -hmm. company. And, um, And as of lately, or as of the other day, Jeff Bezos or Amazon just bought MGM. (laughs) So, Mr. Bezos... That's a huge deal. He owns Whole Foods and MGM. It's a that's a huge deal. Yeah. And I feel like we're not um, we're not really talking about that that much. We're just like, oh, he bought it. That's the thing that happened. Yeah. Like if you've ever People taken buy a- major historic Hollywood production companies all the time. Yeah. No I just like if you've ever taken a history of American film class, I mean, that's really where it all of kind course. of starts and culminates. So it's it's really fascinating. So that's all to say that I just think there's so many people involved and so many different kinds of production crew and teams and companies involved right. in a single entertainment project. So I wouldn't say that I'm like suspicious of MTV, um, but it's, I mean, I guess it's interesting to consider just in the history of like their background, I suppose, but I guess it's nice to see them branching out. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Um, accessibility is really important 
important, I think. I don't know when it comes to this kind of stuff, but that's a really great point, Gianna, is like if people are watching it, they may have more kind of freedom to really do their research about it um, as that entry point. So hopefully it's exciting and uh, we'll keep you tuned in to the process, the making of uh, this series. And again, we're recording this episode on Friday before Memorial Day weekend, but you can follow us on Instagram at Art Pop Talk for more updates um, on the events taking place in Tulsa from Monday the 31st into June 1st. I know today there was some story on the news about how some events are getting canceled and John Lundgren was supposed to come and now he's not coming anymore and I don't want to read that story without having kind of like the full context of it, but I believe Joe Biden is supposed to be there, and I know that on Monday night, the 31st, uh, on CBS, Gail King will be leading a special, and here at APT, we stand Gail, T- Gail King, and if you're new to APT, we also talk about CBS a lot, because we grew up watching CBS <laughs> News, so if you're looking for some more background on the event, um, maybe check that out on Monday night as well. I'm sure Gail, as always, will just do a great job. We love her. Yeah. All right. On that note, are we ready for today's art pop talk? Yes. Today, we are thinking about performative pride. Bianca and I have both worked in museums and other artful spaces where LGBTQ history really is uh, integrated into the kinds of programmings year-round. So that's been incredible for us to witness. However, sometimes those spaces have fallen into the trap of what we are going to refer to as performative pride or even performative activism, if you will, Mm -hmm. that we see, for example, and that you've probably noticed, Gap or Target advertising this time of year. (laughs) Right. So the TikToks right now are truly out of control with capitalism's finest. Um, (laughs) Finest. Chef's kiss. You know, Target, okay. Some people are making it work (laughs) and like, I'm so happy that they are are able to make some of that stuff work, make it look cute, but like also they're like... (laughs) being paid and they're influencers that have the time to be able to do that. And I don't know if I can make that fluffy, like pink and yellow collared dress work. And I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't think I can do it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I actually like the ye- the big yellow with the puffy sleeves. Have you seen that? It's it's like, I don't think it's yes. part of their pride line, though. I think that's just like... No, it's not. But it's also kind of like synonymous. Synonymous? <laughs> like I said that way. Synonymous. It is coincidentally, you know, it's bright, it's fun, it's fall, but it's like, okay. Yeah. No, I, um, Andrew and I went to Target and we were, <laughs> we were looking at their pride line. And the one that we both agreed was probably the most well done was actually one with like pronouns on it. And I thought that one was kind of cute. It was like she, her, they, theirs, he, him. And, and I, I kind of liked that one. I can get on board with yeah. that one. But Target may, you know, be the the top tier of this capitalist in, endeavor here because the Amazon line, Mr. Bezos, you're going to have to um figure that one out because the gay trade tank top, the Harry Potter out of the closet 
with the wand. Also, let's just not, with that analogy, like, there's also so much about Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling that has had conflicts with the queer community. And that just was not... I don't know who thought that was a good idea. Oh, my God. Gianna, that point hadn't even crossed my mind. I was getting more mad at the, like, out of the concept or out of the closet concept. I didn't even think about freaking J.K. Rowling. I mean, like, if you like Harry Potter, like, you're probably gay. And I get that. Like, (laughs) but I feel that. We get it. I don't need it on a shirt. I agree. I agree. Um, also, I I was updating my Bitmoji the other day because I'm trying to make my Bitmoji match this like hot girl summer energy that I have. I'm trying to make her look cute. You know, she's going out. She's getting ready to go to the clubs. And my fucking Bitmoji, like I'm get, going over there to change my outfit. And, you know, I'll share my screen with you or, or, or I'll put it up in the YouTube video. But Gianna, can you see this? This pride? Yes, this is the first time. Um, it's a Vans, it's a fucking Vans line. And then there's, mm-hmm. it says pride Vans. I was like, my yeah. little gay bitmoji will not be wearing that. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, I feel like it could be worse based on some of the other kind of content we've been seeing and, and how people <sighs> have been commercializing off of pride. It's not like uber cute. I don't. I don't really use Snapchat that that much these days or Bitmoji, so I don't. I personally wouldn't make the effort to just change my fake me's T-shirt into something that said Pride. But you know, I guess it's nice to have the option. So I know that Vans, like I get, they must have a collab with Bitmoji. I don't know how it works, but they are always on there. Like Vans has always had like a a line mm-hmm. for your Bitmoji, so. I'm assuming that this is translating to, like, fans in real life is the thing. Yeah, yeah. Have you looked at any kind of marketing Vans has done outside of Bitmoji during the month of June? No, I haven't. Um, or in we prep could, for June? In prep for June. We could look We could look at it and post it on our Instagram. We could post um, some, good, some good pride lines. Yeah, it's interesting to look at. I guess out of everything we're about to look at today, I'm like the least worried about this Bitmoji brand. Yeah, it was just coincidental, I guess, as you Mm. said. Okay, however, this is going to lead into our little game that we're playing. The best TikTok that I saw was about the Sally Hansen. Henson or Hansen? Hansen. Sally Hansen. Insta-dry pride nail polish line. And Gianna, I thought out of this, it would be fun for us to play a little game where I show you the nail polish colors in the set, and then you try to guess the nail color. So Gianna <laughs> and I always love uh, the names of, of nail polish. I think it's just, I don't know, we're like always talking about like funny names for nail polish. And our cousin Juliana, who you can listen to, uh, she's been on a few episodes of APT. She actually had this job at one point, two name nail polishes. And people are always like talking about how they want that job. I feel like Joel would have done like a, a little bit of a better job <laughs> here with this. She could have done great things. Oh, yes. Oh, maybe that's one of the nail colors. <laughs> what could okay. have been? <laughs> TBD. <laughs> so I'm going to read you the description of the line 
because it does have like some good context, I guess. Um, so here, here's a description from Sally Hansen that's on the little box. <laughs> Live fearlessly, love all, out loud. Show off your pride and express your true authentic self with our Sally Hansen InstaDry collab with Glad Collection. Featuring high-impact cream shades inspired by the pride flag, this limited edition collection stands for the unwavering love and inclusivity. Mix and match for pride at your fingertips in a bold, vibrant mani. Dries in 60 seconds. One, stroke. <laughs> Two, coat. Done. No weight, no smudge. And then it says, founded in 1985, GLAD is the largest LGBTQ media advocacy organization. As a dynamic media force, GLAD helps to shape the narrative and provoke dialogue that leads to cultural change. Visit GLAD.org to learn more and find a way to get involved. Sally Hansen is excited to be partnering with GLAD for the third year in a row, and a donation has been made to support GLAD's culture-changing work to accelerate acceptance for LGBTQ people made in USA. Based on the description, I am glad that a company is actually partnering with an LGBTQ plus advocacy group to do good work. I don't know. We don't know what the donation was. Like a donation has been made is maybe a little vague. Um, but I guess at least it's something good, right? Maybe maybe yeah. it's we don't know what we don't know, I guess, about the behind the scenes thing. But we yeah, do know not... that they're still trying to sell us a product. Sure, which is fine. Like selling products is fine. It's how our world works. Like nothing about that description like enrages me. Like there's nothing wrong with it. It's just more the hyper gayness that they take everything <laughs> to in a very like cliche, just obnoxious way. And not just Sally right. Hansen. Like this goes for everybody. Right. <laughs> Looking at you, Jeff. <laughs> Okay, so what I am going to do is share my screen, and I'm going to share with you a color, and then you are going to try and guess the name of that color. How does that sound? Okay. Okay, I'm going to get them ready, and okay, here's our first, here's our first color. Oh, it's brown. It's okay. brown. <laughs> um, no, it's cute. Actually, I like that brown. So I was actually, just expecting something more like vibrant for the first one. Oh, maybe I should have picked a different color for the first one. But actually, at first, I was like, brown's not in the pride flag, but brown is actually in the new progressive pride flag, which is really cool. So I was reading about the, awesome. the new pride flag, which um, is meant to incorporate people of color as well. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. So, okay, so what do I think the name is yeah. going to be? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, horrible. come on. You gotta guess. Um, you gotta guess. I'm surprised okay, you didn't come like, up with just a list of general, like, gayisms. I but. know. Well, because I'm trying not to cheat because they came up so much on, like, my Instagram. I feel like I saw <laughs> some of them. I feel like this one is, like, like a good, like, yas queen. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Wrong answer. But you are, <laughs> Wrong answer. You are close for another color. I'll tell you that. So this this brown color that you see here is called LGBTQ Udi. So it's 
LGBT cutie. Um, But it's like the Q dash U T I E. So, wow. You know, this screams LGBT cutie. (laughs) Obviously. Obviously. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, You see her? She's bright. She's sunny. She's sunny. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel a good sun's out, buns out. (laughs) Ooh. I like that. I like that. Um, incorrect. This one is called Yellow Lady. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel I like, like there's something better. I'm missing there. I don't know if it's supposed to be like Hello Lady. Am I missing some Yellow lady. iconic reference here that I should know? Hmm. Please let us know if we're just I don't think so. dumb and missing something. But sharing next one. Got a little electric orange mm-hmm. um what does this say to you wait i'm trying to like <laughs> i'm trying to like go into like my gay dictionary con- <laughs> content in my head um, um maybe that's it like katya and um just like a, I, I can't do it but like a <laughs> can't do it. don't the gays don't make fun of me like a It's just she's a sound. The tongue she's pop. my favorite. Uh, I, why am I blinking on my favorite drag queen's name? I don't know who your favorite drag queen Annie is. Annie Oakley. This one, I, ha- I have I to look it up because you're talking about BB, but I believe you. Alyssa Edwards. Jesus Christ. Oh. Alyssa. Yeah. I'm not. I know. A, I can't do it as, I know. as well as her. Of course. Yeah, but that's, that's how I feel. <laughs> so this color. I'm okay. I love it. I love it. This one is called Love Wins. Love Wins. Okay. Yeah. Cute. Yeah. Super cute. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. And that color was was orange, by the way, for everyone just listening. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yes, that was a that was a nice orangey color. Okay. This this one is this is one that you saw. This one is Yas Green. <laughs> girl on tiktok was like i'd rather you just call me a slur (laughs) that is so funny i actually think that yas green is a cute name i think it's cute but also it's just a really like it's a really deep green yes i agree i agree i'd rather you just call me a slur slur. (laughs) i mean yeah it's just like she did buy it though it was in her house (laughs) (laughs) oh my god okay here we've got a nice wait did i show you no i haven't showed you this one a nice blue a nice solid blue blue. (laughs) beautiful blue (laughs) i (laughs) i honestly think beautiful but yeah, no, I was kind of thinking that's that. Like, that's like, a band, an old band reference, if any of right, you listeners because we're ex- did marching Extremely game. cool here on APT. Totally. That's all that's in my head. Beautiful blue. I like it. I like it. Well, this one is called Along for the Pride. Along for the Pride. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. They honestly just should have called it, like, Along for the Ride. 
Call me what you want. <laughs> oh, this one's pretty. Yeah, this is a nice purple. All these colors are, I mean, they're inspired by the, the, the flag. They're just like very pure colors. Uh, so mm-hmm. we've got it. We're looking, if you're listening uh, on the podcast without the video, yeah. very pure purple. Mm-hmm. Nice, like deep colors. This is giving me like little monster vibes. <gasps> Ooh, I love that. Yeah, Chromatica vibes. Chromatica. So this one is called Vava Violet. Vava Violet. (laughs) Okay, last one. Last one I've got for you. Really supple cherry red. I love this color. This is a great red. Matches Gianna's lips a little. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, This is like Rocky Horror. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Like some magenta. I mean, it's not It's not really a magenta color, but magenta no. vibes. I guess I could have said the other one was more magenta. <laughs> Missed out on that opportunity. <laughs> that's okay. Um, that's okay. No, this is like Rocky Horror Red Lip. Oh, yeah. That's cute. This is called ASAP Apple. Um, I don't, why don't I get it? I don't, I don't get it either. Am I dumb? Am I missing something? Also, to me, mm. you know what? Honestly, this is not the color of my apples. I'm just going to say I'm a gala apple. Gala apple. That's a, gala that's apple. A better, wow. That's a way better name. <laughs> Damn, I should be the one naming these colors, honestly. Uh, <laughs> I'm a gala apple eater, and uh, this doesn't even match necessarily like red delicious apples, but you know, Okay. So good job, Gianna. Touch, 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 touch me. That should have been one of them. Oh, that's good. That's Because that's your fingers. You get it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great job, Gianna. Thanks for entertaining oh, me. Oh, well, I, I, you might be the only one, but that's okay. <laughs> we are going to take a little break, and when we come back, we are talking about our experience with museums and pride. Welcome back, everybody. So now we are going to think about some of our experiences that we've had in tandem with Pride and museums. So some of the questions that we're going to be thinking about are, when is it okay to centralize Pride in museums and in popular spaces? And at what point does this type of celebration actually become detrimental rather than supportive? And I think that's a really complicated question um, because while support and continual allyship is important, we're not all treated as equal in our society. So there's a lot of different types of, of balances within this support system that can be tricky to navigate. But I wanted to give a little background on some pride celebrations in the United States. 
Um, we do have international listeners, and I just wanted to give a shout out to our Korean and our French listeners, who I consistently see in our stats at the top of every Tuesday morning. So we love you. Thank you for listening. And you're always so on time. Little little French tart. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> So Pride Month is currently celebrated each year in the month of June to honor the 1969 Stonewall Uprising in Manhattan. The Stonewall Uprising was a tipping point for the gay liberation movement in the United States. And in the U.S., um, the last Sunday in June was initially celebrated as quote-unquote Gay Pride Day. In major cities across the nation, the day soon grew to encompass a month-long series of events. Today, celebrations include pride parades, picnics, parties, (laughs) workshops, this is taken from the Library of Congress, symposia and concerts, and LGBTQ Pride Month events. Um, They attract millions of participants around the world. The first Pride March in New York City was held on June 28, 1970, on the one-year anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising. By estimates, there were three to 5,000 marchers at the inaugural Pride in NYC, and today marchers in the city um, come in millions. Since 1970, LGBTQ people have continued to gather together in June to march with pride and demonstrate for equal rights. NYC Pride, I will be going this month in June, June 27th. I'll see you there. I'm very excited. On June 26th, 2015, the United States legalized same-sex marriage in every single state. As often happens with Supreme Court cases, a number of similar cases in Ohio, where the case, this case was brought, and um, elsewhere around the country were consolidated into what became Obergefell versus Hodge. And the Supreme Court heard um, a number of arguments on April 28th in 2015, and then on June 26th, the court ruled five to four in favor of the plaintiff, stating that both bans on same-sex marriage and bans on recognizing same-sex marriage were unconstitutional. Writing for the majority, Justice Anthony Kennedy said, quote, The right to marry is a fundamental right inherent in the liberty of the person, and under due process and equal protection clauses of the 14th Amendment, couples of the same sex may not be deprived of that right and that liberty. <sighs> I was reading that earlier and I got, I don't know, I was getting like really emotional reading about the case again and it's it's really wild i i'll never forget the day that i heard the news Gianna, i don't know about you but i was I, I was actually at a nannying job and um i was nannying my kids and and i saw the news on my phone and i'll just never forget that moment where the case was announced and it's wild that it happened in 2015 yeah, I don't I don't remember where I was when that happened. That's interesting to think about. I was still in high school, so I don't know. My mm-hmm. brain was still developing. But it's interesting to think about court rulings like this and they feel so historic and monumental that it it feels like it's so set in stone and it's going to be there forever. Mm-hmm. But it's so interesting 
to see how there are not other laws to protect, you know, against other forms of discriminations, mm-hmm. especially in the workplace. Um, and and what we're seeing right now with the trans bills, it's just, it's disgusting. Yes. And um, like adoption and just like so many different things. Mm-hmm. But I, not that these cases are, you know, each case is particularly different into what issue, but I think about so much what is happening right now with Roe versus Wade and yeah. how for a first time in a really long time, it actually feels like a possibility that something like that, that feels something like this could be so set in stone. You feel like you have this right. Mm-hmm. And people are working to take that away. Um, yeah. And that people yeah. are constantly trying to, to work around mm-hmm. this. Yeah. And it's yeah. just, it's disgusting. Yeah. So what does pride mean for art museums? All right, so I'm going to read from the Queering the Museum project. I have some questions about the project because when I was looking into the history of Queering the Museum, which is what Gianna and I are going to start talking about, they haven't really updated the site. So I'm a little curious as to how the the project has evolved and curriculum has been more accessible to different museums out of this project because right now it, it, it appears to be a WordPress site and I I feel like 2013 is like the start date that I was kind of seeing um, comments on the site but I'm gonna I'm gonna read this quote from them. The Queering the Museum project is an ongoing coordinated intervention into representations of LGBTQ people in museums. Our goal is for Queering the Museum to facilitate critical dialogues between community members and museum practitioners, addressing the role that museums play in forming social norms around gender and sexuality. We conceptualize Queering the Museum as an evolving project that works in collaboration with community members and organizations, facilitating and connecting projects that further these goals. We focus on museums due to their ability to shape and define the communities in which we live. Querying the Museum believes that museums have a responsibility to account for the role played in constructing normalized ideas of race, gender, and sexuality, 1000%. We seek to educate and facilitate reflections about this role, connecting museum professionals and community members through a variety of activities. Querying the Museum's supported projects focus on the museum as a venue for exploring these questions and ideas at the institutional, community, and individual levels. So here is this great project about museums and museum studies. And right now, again, we're in 2021. I feel like this was kind of started around 2013 again. So we have come a long way in museum studies, but as my TikTok pointed out, um, there is a weird navigation of the art world where we think that museums are these really democratic and open-minded and inclusive spaces, and that is in fact not the case, right? So I have a quote from the Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery in the UK, not Birmingham in Alabama. So I was looking at a Queering the Museum um curriculum packet, I guess, that is downloadable from this uh, museum's website. I'm obviously not reading you the whole packet, but I am kind of cherry picking, I guess, this block quote that was in the packet. Quote, Queering the museum is an opportunity to look at our collections with a fresh eye 
and explore further the multitude of possible perspectives of readings as environments that showcase the creativity of others through the display of fine and applied art. It is important that we continue to work with artists such as Matt Smith in order to communicate the currency of creative practice and the value of what art brings to society. Looking at this, and again, I, I if you read the whole packet, it may turn out that I am, you know, cherry picking like a quote to, I guess, like strengthen my point, but what is that if not art history? So I just feel like this quote is like the problematic point at which we enter querying the museum and we get into that kind of performative lens of queering artistic spaces. And querying the museum is, quote, an opportunity to look at collections with fresh eyes. Like, why aren't you doing that all the time? (laughs) And um, showcase the creativity of others. They're in that statement. They are automatically othering LGBTQ perspectives and artists. And I just don't see that as being sustainable. It's not equitable. It's not inclusive. You are... You are capitalizing. I don't know what their financial situation looks like, but they are intriguing guests into this kind of event where you have the opportunity to look at things from a new perspective. Like you should be doing this all the time. You should be constantly conscious of the multitude of perspectives that art objects offer on a single, everyday, individualistic basis. Mm-hmm. It is so ridiculous that you create a museum label that stays constant throughout the lifespan it may have in a in a museum or gallery space and expect that one label to always include everything that everyone will think about a piece of art. That's just, that's not realistic. And so I am grateful for the educational opportunity for museums to talk about queer history. And I think that's a really important part of querying the museum. But this quote for me just kind of like really got me going on like that weird path that we're going to talk about. Well, you you really said it there. It's it's interesting because so much of when we talk about queer theory, especially in art, is rooted in language. Everything about art and how we talk about it is rooted in language. Mm -hmm. So it's quite interesting that there. I mean. It, it maybe it is fair to say like your cherry pick statement from that entire you know resource packet that they have, but that doesn't deter the fact that that is the sentence that is in there, and uh, it's quite interesting that it's in there because if you're conscientious about using queer language when conducting a queer tour or artist talk, artful space dialogue, um, you're going to be cognizant and you're going to talk about how there is this othering happening, mm-hmm. and yet your rhetoric is quite contrary to that fact right right um and it is interesting to think about because just as you said these are perspectives and dialogues and theories that you know we try to implement on a weekly basis in the podcast or when we were you know leading tours and in museums those are just things that we're cognizant about it's part of the reason why it just goes what we always kind of preach here on apt why we think visual history is so important, why history in general mm-hmm. is so important. But this is why I think everyone should also be required to take a gender and women's studies class um, yeah. at a collegiate level. Uh, because even being introduced to something like that, as simple as the other, 
people don't even fully understand the the concept and the reality of othering. Yeah. And I, I just want to make a point really quick. You said at the collegiate level, and I, I just want to say that like we should all be talking about that because that's another problem is accessibility like mm-hmm. we know that our gender women studies classes at the college level like really impacted us but this needs to be translated to more accessible spaces like not everyone sure. is, is even able to have that opportunity um, sure yeah absolutely. And, and here museums can can present that same material hopefully on a more mm-hmm. accessible level but i really yeah. liked what you said about language because our language is constantly evolving and in the nature of gendered women's studies in particular Mm -hmm. we are kind of used to that evolution of language so it's okay you know we know that it's okay if you and i kind of make a mistake or we read something from you know a you know a decade ago that's not really Mm -hmm. correct anymore but i think it's important it is important to keep those like contextual language clues in mind but moving forward we I don't believe we should be referring to the other mm-hmm. when we talk yeah. about querying the museum. Yeah, absolutely. And no, that's such a good point, Bianca. And it has been very interesting to follow different stories in the midst of this year about public education and like seeing such egregious like kind of PTA meetings about how parents say just because they don't want uh, certain racial history and racial conflict to be taught in their Critical race children's theory. classes, yeah, means that they're not racist, which is yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yes. So excellent point, Bianca. So, do we want to talk about our experiences with queer in the museum now that we have a little bit of background? Yes. Yes. So, um, if you guys don't know, Gianna was the education intern at the Oklahoma State University Museum of Art. So I'm going to let you kind of lead this next portion and, and I'll jump in. But I know that because you were so involved with the educational material of it all, um, you have a lot of great insight. Yeah, I started kind of dipping my toe, I should say, in the programming part before I was an intern. So I've had like a fair three years of being involved in this event and then particular one year with the feminist coalition that we were a part of Bianca Mm -hmm. we kind of did some partnering with the museum Uh, but a full two years I did a lot of programming for queering the museum and it's a fantastic event to be a part of at least in in the space that I was able to to help promote it I mean I think I'm really grateful to have been a part of it and and really proud and I'm gonna keep saying that word because I don't think it's a sin Um, (laughs) and it's kind of hard to look back on both those events over the course you know of two different years kind of regarding the timeline of it all because so much is happening around you during pride in that month in that week in the community and especially at the university and just in particular the location that we were at in Stillwater Oklahoma uh, but essentially there is pride week on OSU's campus and there's a lot of things to do there's a lot of partnering with the gender and women's studies or multicultural affairs office they put on an event called dragonfly which is an annual drag show that is a really popular um, event on campus because it's the one of the only times people in Stillwater have access to that kind of of entertainment but at the museum we would do you know student talks guest lectures we would do lessons on queer and art history um, 
one of our student workers would lead like a gay tour or some of the art history students would share their thesis or their work that related to queer histories. And then what I did, especially in the art lab and what my educator who I was working for with during that time made sure that we, you know, had the usual resources that we do, but had extra kind of tablings and and people representative in the community to be there because the Mm -hmm. OSU Museum of Art is also dedicated as a um, a safe zone or a safe place. Yeah. Uh, so it's a um, it's a destination that if somebody is in trouble, they know that they can come to our location. We can you know help them. I also wanted to turn at one point. We had this vault. The OSU Museum of Art used to be a post office. So yes. in the art lab where I worked, there was this little tiny vault. We did a lot of, a lot of different things with it. Um, so one year I turned it into like a little like dance studio and that was really cute oh and that then, was so cute it was cute and then after that for one of our family events I became really um close with this uh family that would come in for almost every event and I just had their kids like teach me dance moves because they were like rock stars but uh that one year I want to say maybe it was 2019. It's hard to look back on the timeline, but when I was in college and a part of this event, the first official Payne County Pride was organized in Stillwater. So our museum also got to help kind of partner and participate with what was going on in Payne County, which Mm -hmm. is really fun. There are a lot of different things you also have to consider when you're organizing an event where people's safety and privacy need to be taken into consideration more diligently than perhaps if you were just going to an artist talk. Holistically, I I don't think pride or performative activism or advocacy was a part of what we were doing at the museum. I was lucky enough to be working with queer educators who yes. worked in the classrooms in museums. And like, that's something that I wholeheartedly believe. And that's um, such an important, not to cut you off, but that in itself is such an important part of mm-hmm. museum work. It, and mm-hmm. we've talked about this on kind of like movie and set productions too, is who is behind the scenes doing that work, you know? And it's yeah. really important that the people doing that and putting on those programs are those queer museum educators, those queer art historians, those people with um, not only the expertise, but that lived experience. Right, right. And when I refer to the OSU Museum of Art, it is always going to be a little bit different, a little bit interesting, because there is that university politics of it all. And I think where the performative advocacy is going to come into place is really with the university and itself. And, you know, having to acknowledge that the OSU Museum of Art and like many other museums associated with campus has its own voice, has its own platform, not only in the community, but the university. But there are also limitations to Mm -hmm. what they're able to do because of university shit like that so what they're able is yeah yeah relative take and that yeah. ability with a grain of salt yeah yeah for sure like you know an example with uh blm over the summer it was really interesting to see university museums having to wait to make statements about things and you'll see yep. that probably with pride i mean it happens every year with these kind of controversial events uh not controversial 
um, where the university in itself is going to have to make a statement, and then the other platforms will be able to follow in their lead after that. Right, that's bullshit. Bullshit. Um, But 2019 was a really great year for Queer in the Museum. It overlapped with a really fantastic exhibition that we were showing. I don't think it was so coincidentally. I think it was great that it was shown through the summer. But that exhibition was shown for uh, a full semester and into the summer. It was called 50 States. And it's an ongoing series by the artists and couple Nick Vong and Jake Margolin. And they create these site-specific installations based on queer histories pre-Stonewall riots. So we're talking gay cowboys and books with the first lesbian protagonist. So I don't want to go into that exhibition too much, but what I kind of want to talk about a little bit with that exhibition is the impact that it makes on communities and how important that is. This series that they've done has showed in more uh, urban environments, but having it in a place like Stillwater is so, so important because especially for young people in that public atmosphere, this is the direct cultural outlet and most accessible outlet that they have in their community. And so to have work like that sets the precedence for what kind of community members we want to be. And the programming these artists did throughout Oklahoma was just chef's kiss. What I want to relay when it comes to not only queer events, but queer exhibition is those difficult conversations you are going to have with public members. Um, I'm really happy to say that from my experience in working with a queer artist and this kind of content, the overall feedback is definitely more positive than it is negative if we want to put it in those terms. But Bianca, I guess I'm kind of curious if, if in your writings or exhibitions, that you've worked with, particularly, I'm thinking of your work at uh, in Milwaukee with yeah, um, your internship there with what was it Mutual Northwestern Mutual Northwestern Mutual when you d- created a lot of content for them. Not only was it interesting hearing from your colleagues, you know, how do we kind of want to handle this feedback and engage with the community, um, but also how, you know, I want to talk to them person to person too, and how do you navigate those waters? Right. So it's really interesting. In twenty, the summer of 2018, I got an internship at a corporate art collection. So I was helping to run the art program at Northwest, Northwestern Mutual headquartered in Milwaukee. And I came on at a time when the whole kind of corporate culture of the company was ha- had shifted. We were in a new building. Everything was a little bit more collaborative. It was a little bit more engaging. They, as a, a corporation, they were really taking that big shift to focus on kind of work, like life balance and focusing on the person rather than this like work machine, which was like really fantastic. Um, and I, w- I was very, very lucky to, to get that internship. What was really cool about working for Northwestern Mutual is that they had almost like the equivalent of student groups. So what do you think about, you know, Gianna and I have talked about, we ran the feminist coalition at OSU. Um, You know, they had these employee organizations. So as I was working through the collection and the works that they had on display throughout the building, I mean, the building was like massive. I can't even remember how many floors it was. It was like 
a, the huge tower in Milwaukee. And that architect was the same person who built the Devon Tower, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, yeah. it was. Um, and it's next to the Milwaukee Art Museum. It's right downtown. So I got to lead a tour for the company's LGBTQ plus organization. And it was during the month of June. It was part of Pride. Whenever June came about, Pride flags were put up around the comp- uh, you know, the company's building, which is really great. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I, I really loved that the company took a very frontward and supportive stance of their LGBTQ plus community uh, in their employee base and, and out in the public. Like Northwestern Mutual is a very public facing company. I mean, they sell life insurance. So I, I really enjoyed that. However, again, it's like, why isn't this up all year round? You know what I mean? Like, why do we keep the American flag up in the building all the time? But, you know, you're just showcasing your pride once a month. That's the type of thing that I, you know, was skeptical towards. However, the company's employee group is a static thread of the organization year round. So this group has um, consistent meetings. They're always able to meet, you know, during the, the course of their work day. Like they're a very big organization within the company itself. So that is pretty consistent over the course of the year. And of course, that organization in turn is going to put on pride events during June. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But um, so, so I really did appreciate what the company was doing year round. And my job was to give a tour, um, kind of like a queer art history tour and um, talk about the LGBTQIA plus artists that we had in the collection. And I got to give this tour um, to anyone who wanted to come, but it was kind of brought in collaboration with the company's LGBTQ plus group. So it was really great. It was so much fun. I really enjoyed that just personally, I got to do a lot of research on um, contemporary artists that were being shown in the building at the time, and I, I really enjoyed that. And I, I really loved that the company valued these kind of tours and these events like over the course of the day. It is built into the workplace structure. So anyone just like during their lunch break or, you know, what it was a very, like I said, like evolving and progressive kind of day-to-day work structure. So I I really, really liked it and I really appreciated it. Again, I was just a summer intern, so I don't know how members from that group view company culture all the time. I don't know how performative that is, but I, I guess there is kind of that internal kind of like give and take, like why is this only happening in the month of June? I hope it continued after I left year round. It maybe just so happened that I was a summer intern and June takes place over the summer, you know, but I, I think I I was very conscientious that I didn't want it to seem like just a performative pride event. Like mm-hmm. that's the thing that I guess is kind of always in the back of my mind when I'm thinking about these types of artistic events. And it's hard when you also like so enjoyed it because you're getting to do the research and have the conversations that you're interested in, but it's now like all of a sudden, like, these freaking cicadas that have like are merging out of the ground for seven years. Now we can all talk about this in the month of June, but then now they're just going to go that language and those cicadas are going to go back under the ground. And I say that because it's terrifying. Both are terrifying. I'm not okay with either one. 
<laughs> Gianna has a fear of bugs and not talking white about it. Sh- <laughs> those two. Yes, those are very real fears. They are. Yikes. Um, yeah, very much so. Going back to performative pride too, one of the things that I appreciate so much in the creative space, essentially where I worked at too, is because I had the ability to work with queer educators at the museum, having resources in there wasn't something we just were able to throw in for the month of June that we just took out. Um, you know, and also having an educator, even an intern such as myself be in the space to be able to guide people towards those resources, whether maybe everybody in the museum was aware of them or not, it was my job to be aware of them. Whether that was in my exact job description or not, it was something I, I knew I needed to do. Yeah. Um, do I think we probably could have had maybe even more resources? Probably, yes, because there's always ways or to just, grow. And, or just more and, events, like exactly. outside of June. Exactly. You know? <laughs> it's interesting because when you have a museum that's albeit small but has a pretty large permanent collection, you're still a little bit subjected to the permanent collection that you have so there's always going to kind of be that frame that you're going to have to work in but that's where the importance of traveling exhibitions you know are able to to come into play I feel as though there are always ways to recontextualize and relearn and that's what I was gonna say and and always push your permanent collection to the forefront always because otherwise you know, we're going to say the same bullshit. Like, why would you keep writing about the dinner party? Exactly. There's already so many things about the dinner party, but it's always wonderful to be able to have access to artists and artworks that you don't think you're going to find in a place like Oklahoma, which is not true. Right. But that, that's, I think what, that's what museums and art and art museums should be about. Like art history is a dual field about both the past and the present. And I don't think the field exists without one or the other. You know, mm-hmm. it it will always be a field of study that has to encompass the present. But inevitably, we have millions of objects, mm-hmm. you know, from our past. So it, it's like always going to be that competitive kind of spirit. But that's what we should like about yeah art and art history is that we can do that you know <laughs> yeah for sure I think one of the other things I I kind of thought about talking about today was the training that takes place at these establishments in prep for events like Queer in the mm-hmm. Museum as thrilled as I am to see trainings like this happen not just for student staff but for the entire staff is great does it annoy me that it happens in conjunction with event like Queer in the Museum? Yes, because that needs to be, we are an educational institution. We are designated as a safe place. And many, a lot of museums are, especially on college campuses. So to me, you know, that's essential kind of language that we all need to be cognizant about going back to our earlier conversation the museums other... serve the public. Sorry, I'm going to cut you off. Mm-hmm. Museums serve the public, and your public is not gay one month out of the year. I just yeah. can't harp on that enough. Like, you don't get to pick and choose when you learn about 
the community that you're supposed to be serving because they are constant. That is their life. Mm-hmm. It's not just... That's really, well, I'm really glad you brought that up, Gianna. Well, it's actually interesting that you bring that up because that is actually one of my key responses to negative feedback I have conversed with, with community members. Um, you know, people aren't just gay one month of the year. Our right. exhibitions reflect the needs of the community. And there are queer and gay people living in our community and it's important to have events and exhibitions brought into this area because we reflect artwork that reflects our community Mm -hmm. if you don't want to be a part of this exhibition it's it's okay i'm not going to force you to stay and look at this art if you want to have a conversation with me about it i'd love to have that with you otherwise you can look at this art or you're welcome to come back after this exhibition is is gone um you know there are like that's your statement is a pretty like on the nose for how I would try to communicate with people in a very, I think, frank and important way. Mm-hmm. Kind of going back to the training of it all, though, it's it was also really interesting to have, I'll refer to them as volunteers, uh, people who might be helping out with this exhibition who need to come in for these trainings. And myself having to have really difficult conversations with predominantly like white older females how to use the word queer and Mm -hmm. how you it's not a word you need to be afraid of saying it's a word that you need to use with context and be cognizant and be conscious of what you're saying and who you're saying it to right uh but it's really interesting to have talked with an older generation of people who think of queer as they do other derogatory words. Yeah. And that that goes back to education of language. And that's how we can... The evolution of language. Absolutely. I mean, they're so... Yeah, absolutely. So I think that was just very interesting, you know, putting on an event called Queering the Museum. Like, that is a very loaded mm-hmm. word, and we, we do need to understand how we're using it in that yeah. context. But do and I And be think... respectful of older members of the LGBTQIA mm-hmm. plus community who, who don't want to be grouped in as that word as well. Right. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I think my thing with that was do I think that I have knowledge that I can that can I can share and I can have a conversation with these people about absolutely do I feel like I like I should be the person to perhaps have led this kind of like informal training I think what I got from that experience is that there's so much more that needs to be unpacked here and yeah. we need someone who has a clear emphasis or study in this subject matter and in this field to be able to help guide us in the right direction yeah um so i think anytime you're ever doing any kind of training about inclusivity um and i did get a lot of that it was really cool to have students in the osu department who are in counseling and be able to lead trainings with us in some degree or matter like fantastic to to bring in other students to do that as we like to say on APT, I just thought it was interesting to reflect on. Yeah. And if I was a part of that event in the future, would I, knowing what I have done and what I've been a part of and how to move forward and do that differently? Absolutely, because there's always room to improve. Yeah. 
So I think we need to wrap things up for today. But Gianna, if there was any point of advice, any last thing that you want to say about queering the museum, looking at performative pride like this in artistic spaces, what might that be? I, you know, me and Bianca are referring to our prior work experiences and personal experiences with pride and we use these as examples i think not to call that platform out or institution out because so as we've said so many times we've done amazing things and that's where we got our start and love for for art but i'm using them as examples because that is my prior knowledge these are things that are happening everywhere in yes. museums and in commerce and even where i'm at now at 21c museum hotel there is a promo going on called love is love which is great there's yeah. nothing essentially wrong with something like that that promo but do i think it's interesting to see a gift shop suddenly packed with rainbow content specifically in the month of june and gay and queer people are are not not aware of of what's going on and i love working for institutions and i'm so privileged to work for institutions that set this precedence in their community and make that effort to do so and that is there is so much room for love and and admiration there and i so appreciate that but we need to acknowledge how we're commodifying off of so much history and pain and identity and there is a cause for discomfort there that because i'm so interested in consumer experiences that i want us to be aware of yeah i think you all are aware of i really do but you know it's nice to sit down and talk about it yeah definitely well we made it through our first video recording hopefully we, we can keep it up you know i know my my nail polish names weren't funny juliana where are you I need you. <laughs> no, the... <laughs> it's that just is honestly really funny. It's just so bad because we're both so bad at it. Like, I'm definitely aware. Like, well, you know, it's good practice. Good practice. We need a well, lot of practice. <laughs> good thing we have this weekly podcast. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, like we said at the top of the show, if you are new, definitely check out um, the rest of the social media. We post a lot of our image resources on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of the week. That The content that we talk about in the episode, we often share it on our Instagram, our Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're everywhere. You can watch this hopefully on our youtube channel subscribe to our youtube channel we have playlists there with all of our art news resources different stories um we post all of our guest interviews on youtube as well so you can watch them there as well as in the audio version we are available anywhere you get your podcasts we're on spotify apple stitcher we're on good pods now if you're on the good pods app we're there as well so we we're really everywhere you get your podcast so thank you guys so much for subscribing if you use apple podcasts or if you have apple podcast go on there leave us a review and uh, you can always email us with thoughts comments concerns at artpoptalk at gmail.com so with that i think we will talk to you on tuesday bye everyone bye art pop talks production assistant is audrey kaminsky music and sounds by josh turner 
Photography is by Adrian Turner, and our graphic designer is Sid Hammond.